We're going to continue the Mark series this week. Our reading is chapter 5, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the, de- the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the Lord went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of God. Thanks for reading, Sarah. I remember when I was about 16, our family took a trip out west to Colorado. And um, one of the stops we made was at a place called the Black Canyon in Colorado, which it's not quite as impressive as the Grand Canyon if you've ever been there. But um, as we approached this canyon, just out in the middle of the desert, we, we pulled up and uh, we realized it was like right there, no fence, no visitor center, no guardrail. It was just flat ground and then like a 300-foot drop into this canyon. Or I don't even know how deep it was. Maybe more than that. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was throwing rocks down in there and watching, counting the seconds before I could see them disappear. My mom, on the other hand, was, was shaking with fear, you know, several yards away from the edge, uh, yelling at us not to get too close. And I get it. I would, I would do the same thing with my kids. But you see, um, something that amazing and, and marvelous and wonderful also is kind of dangerous. That, that thing that amazed me so much produced amazement and wonder and attraction for me 
but repulsion and fear for someone else. And to be honest, I had a little bit of repulsion too. I was scared to get too close to the edge. Jesus does the same thing to people. He, he, his presence and his power is so wonderful and so awesome that it produces both attraction and repulsion, both faith and fear. And we see it right here in this story where, where the man who was healed wants to go with Jesus and the townspeople want Jesus to go away. I used to think this story was just about Jesus' power over the demonic world and, and over Satan, and that it surely is. But it's also showing us that Jesus both attracts and repels people, depending on whether you see him with faith or with fear. Because in the words of C.S. Lewis, like Aslan, he is good, but he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. Let's pray as we get into the text this morning. Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to tune in to your word? Help me to speak with clarity, uh, with truth. Um, help me to speak clearly so that, so that your people here can see what you want them to see. And Lord, thank you that your word alone has power to speak to us and to change us. So we, we are at your feet now. Please teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three uh, kind of sections to this story that I want to go through. The first shows us the dehumanizing, destructive power of evil. The second shows us the merciful, liberating power of Jesus. And the third shows us those two responses of faith or fear. So uh, please open your Bible if it's not already. Page 815 in the Brown Pew Bibles to Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> I want to once again read verses 1 through 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. This is Jesus' first time going to a non-Jewish area, by the way. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones." What a portrait of this, uh, just the wretched power of evil to wreck someone's life. This poor guy has, has lost everything. He is, he's living in the tombs, the, places, the place where dead people go, and really he's like a walking dead man himself. His relationships are dead. I mean, where are his friends and family? They've rejected him. His hope is dead. He's, he's crying out in despair and inflicting self-harm with sharp rocks. His purpose is dead. Nobody wants him anymore. Nobody knows what to do with him anymore. And this poor man has been treated like an animal to tame rather than a human being to love. When it says no one could subdue him anymore, 
The Greek word very specifically refers to taming an animal. And so his supposed friends have tried to control him by wrapping him up with chains or by putting shackles on his his hands and feet, only to have him break them in his demonic power. And so he's out alone, rejected, dead to everything, completely controlled by evil. And completely dehumanized. That's what evil does. It dehumanizes us. It makes us less human. It, it mars and claws at the image of God in us. We aren't given this man's full story, but we, we do know that a person doesn't get to this point without a lot of things going wrong. Maybe he was abused by someone close to him. Maybe he had an addiction that took over. Maybe, maybe through worshiping idols, he opened himself up to demonic influence. Um, whatever happened, evil has taken control of his life and he is left dehumanized. Never forget, Satan's goal, according to Jesus, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. But what might be even more tragic is the way he's been treated by people who who see him as an, an animal to tame rather than a human being to love. Are there people around us who suffer this way? Now, I don't know what you believe about demons and Satan, but I can tell you that they're real. This is not a metaphor or this is not a crude ancient world way to talk about mental illness. There, there is mental illness. There are demons. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they don't. Um, but not all evil is visibly demonic. What about the person chained by an addiction who has has lost everything and continues to shoot up even though they're covered with sores, living on the street, a shell of a human being. Wouldn't you call that somewhat demonic and evil? What about um, the man with severe mental illness who is institutionalized and cut off from his family and from relationships? What about the girl who is abused and winds up in the adult industry? What about the man who who lives in his room with the shades drawn day and night, living in video games and Reddit threads and, and online porn and just hating himself more and more, caught in this web of addictions and desires and and evil? Evil has so many ways to destroy and to dehumanize people. And I suspect that as I'm talking about this, you can picture someone on the fringes of your life who is in this situation. Or maybe someone here today is in a situation like this. The good news is that Jesus came to liberate. And his power is greater than the power of evil. So let's see what happens. Look with me at verses 6 through 10. When he, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I want you to notice a few things about this interaction. The demons in this man instantly recognize Jesus' true identity, the Son of the Most High God, something that not even his disciples have seen and have affirmed yet. But that understanding does not mean faith. It means they know he's their mortal enemy. Now in Jesus' time, there were Jewish exorcism handbooks that told people with various chants and incantations and uh, recitations of scripture and of the names of God and, and using incense, how to expel certain types of demons from people. Demonology and exorcism was a thing even back, back then. But Jesus doesn't need any of that stuff. <laughs> His mere presence is enough to send these demons into a panic, right? Like bully, playground bullies when a Navy SEAL dad shows up right? They know it's no contest. They're cowering before him, begging for mercy. And they beg him, don't torture me, which is pretty ironic and pitiful considering they've been doing nothing but torturing this poor guy for, for a long time. But suddenly they're the, they're the victims. Don't torture me. Please don't torture us. Um, they ask, this is interesting, don't, they don't want to be cast out of the region, maybe because in that Gentile region, they, they think they can be safe from the Jewish Messiah. Um, but they're wrong. Um, meanwhile, look at how Jesus treats this man in front of him. He, he says, what is your name? And I think he's talking to the man himself. When is the last time a person asked that man his name? They probably just know him as the crazy guy who lives out in the cemetery or the demoniac that you should keep your kids away from. But Jesus says, what is your name? Well, the demons answer for him and they say, Legion, for we are many. Now, a legion was the largest troop of Roman soldiers containing as many as 6,000 footmen and 120 mounted soldiers. So this is a chilling uh, truth here. This, this guy is tormented by just a swarm of evil. The famous writer C.S. Lewis saw something of himself in this man. He said before he became a Christian... He was, quote, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. And, and it's true that evil, when evil has its way with us, we are full of disorder and chaos and, and uh, desires that are all out of whack. 
But Jesus is here to set the man free. In verses 11 through 13, we read this, this dramatic, uh, uh, almost cinematic description. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Don't allow us to go into them. Sorry, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Interesting. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Can you picture this? The noise, the squealing, the stampeding of feet, the dust clouds, the frothing of the water as these pigs rush in and drown. Um, What a spectacle and what a vivid picture of the evil that had been inside this man. My goodness. And he's finally free. As we'll soon see, this man... Um, places his faith in Jesus. He is so grateful for what Jesus has done for him. He's restored his humanity, his dignity, his life. But the story doesn't end here because, as we'll see, there's another kind of evil at work. Besides the demonic oppression, um, there's the evil that, that... wants Jesus to leave because he's a threat. So let's look at verses 14 through 20. Mark tells us that the people tending the pigs ran back to town to tell everyone what had happened, and soon there was a crowd gathered by Jesus and the man who was healed. And what happens do they say, oh my goodness, this guy is, is well. Praise God. No. Do they say, wow, what kind of a man is this who has power over, over legions, a legion of demons? Do they want to find out more about who Jesus is? No. The text says, when they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. (laughs) They were afraid. And then it says, they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why is this? Wouldn't you think that people witnessing a great miracle, or hearing an eyewitness account of a great miracle, would be intrigued, curious, attracted, would have faith? But so many times in the Bible, when people see Jesus do something great, they're afraid and they want him to go away. Maybe they're afraid of what they don't understand. They're afraid of this power capable of of doing something that no human could do. But more likely, it was the pigs. 2,000 pigs is a lot of money. That's a lot of... uh, uh, Can you imagine how that would be tied into the local economy in so many ways? And and it's like, Jesus, whatever kind of Jewish miracle worker you may be, if you're going to come here uninvited into our village and and damage our local economy and shake everyone up and scare these poor pig farmers, then you can just get right back in your boat and go home. Right? (laughs) 
And maybe you have some sympathy for them. I mean, doesn't Jesus care about the lost money and, and people's livelihoods and the pigs themselves, for goodness sakes? I think what this is saying is that the value of one human life is so much greater than even 2,000 pigs, than tens of thousands of dollars in economic activity. One human life is worth it. One person created in the image of God who is tormented and dehumanized by evil is worthy of God's merciful healing. Um, the citizens of the town, however, don't agree with that. In their calculus, um, it's okay if this guy is demonized and as, as long as he's away from town, as long as he's under control and things are going on as normal, right? You see, what Mark is showing us here is that there's more than one way to be controlled by evil. Sometimes evil looks like a man infested with demons. And sometimes it looks like other people who are okay with that as long as it doesn't bother them too much. This was really convicting me this week as I studied this passage. There's so many people suffering from evil around us and so much of the time, I don't really care until it starts to affect me, right? You know, the city of Burlington has been plagued with the, the opiate crisis, homelessness, crime. All of those things have ballooned in the last few years, and suddenly people are starting to care a lot more about these issues. Uh, the cynical part of me says that's because now it's hurting the economy, and restaurants are closing, and people aren't going to Burlington to spend their money, so now we need to fix this problem, Right? There have always been, there's always been addiction, there's always been homelessness, there's always been crime. I was feeling convicted by that this week. Are we okay with people suffering from evil as long as it doesn't affect us? Um, what if we had to pay some kind of cost for Jesus to do his work? Because wherever Jesus goes, he disrupts things. There, there's fallout. There's disruption. Let me give you two examples um, of how Jesus is a threat to the status quo. <clears throat> the first is from the Bible. In Acts chapter 19, we're told that the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis, a Greek, a Roman goddess. And lo and behold, there was quite a cottage industry around this temple of selling silver figurines and idols, and trinkets that people would bring home and worship. Well, when Paul started preaching the gospel, fewer and fewer people started buying these idols of Artemis. And how do you think the, idol, the, the, the silversmiths felt about that? They didn't like it. One silversmith named Demetrius got everyone all riled up in his guild and, then, and said, if we let Paul and his associates keep doing what they're doing, pretty soon we're gonna, our noble trade will be no more. And a riot started in the city that almost got Paul killed. 
Here's another more modern example. So in 1807, the British Parliament abolished the slave trade. And that was largely spearheaded and pushed by a coalition of Christians, William Wilberforce, one of them. That's 1807. Fast forward about 50 years, Harriet Beecher Stowe, the famous American abolitionist, and her husband, lesser known Calvin Stowe, were touring England and they were speaking at an anti-slavery day event. Calvin Stowe preached very boldly, saying to the people gathered there, you know what? You are hypocrites. Because even though you abolished slavery decades ago, 80% of the cotton picked by American slaves is purchased by England. And you are wearing clothes now made by slave labor. He said, if you really want to abolish slavery... Boycott American cotton. He went on to, to say, I quote, Are you willing to sacrifice one penny of your profits to do away with slavery? And the crowd booed at him. So what about us? Are we okay with evil happening as long as it's out of sight? As long as it doesn't affect us? And are we okay with Jesus doing his work that can be very disruptive, that can make people afraid and unsettled? Are, are we willing to, to deal with that? If the answer is no, then we are basically asking Jesus to leave us alone. <laughs> Go away, Jesus. We don't want your work here. We don't want your power here. But the opposite reaction is faith. I mean, the man who was healed obviously had faith in Jesus and was attracted to him because he had felt God's power in his life. Um, and so, interestingly, the man, the man begs to go with Jesus um, and Jesus says no. Instead, he sends him back to his own people to be a witness, to reunite him with his family, to be a witness to God. And he says, go and tell your people how much the Lord has done for you and how God has had mercy on you. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't focus on the power. Go and tell everyone how powerful I am. He says, go and tell how much God has had mercy on you. I want to close by asking you, where do you see yourself in this story today? You might be the man before he was healed, before Jesus came, tormented by evil. And if you are, Jesus can heal you. Jesus can free you. Jesus is still healing people. A few months ago, um, uh, a Teen Challenge came, a Vermont Adult and Teen Challenge, and many of them shared testimonies of how Jesus has saved their lives from addiction, from suicide, from, from terrible evil. Jesus is still doing that work. Maybe you're the man after he was healed, 
Has, has, God, has God freed you from some, from some great sin, some uh, evil that was overpowering you? If so, you have a story to tell. If you are a Christian, a believer in Jesus who has put your faith in him, then Jesus has done even more for you than he did for this man. He has freed you from death itself. And you have a story to tell of how much God has had mercy on you. Or are you like the townspeople, afraid of this great power? Afraid of how Jesus may disrupt your life or the world around you? Well, he does disrupt our lives because as the text says, he is the Lord. He is the Son of the Most High. He's the one who commands uh, Demons obey him. Everything obeys him. And so no, no wonder when he comes into our life, things change. He's like a ship that leaves this great wake. But what should encourage us is that even though it may be scary to think about something changing when you surrender to Jesus, Jesus always uses his power for good, for mercy. Like he told the man, go and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus always uses his power to do mercy. Although we may be afraid initially, although we may not trust that he is safe, not trust that I mean, not trust that he is good. He always uses his power for mercy when we turn to him. So choose faith, not fear.